can't get enough of the podcast? Lucky for you, our video IQ platform on adorebeauty.com.au houses thousands of articles on skincare, makeup, hair care, and more. Plus, you can find a heap of video tutorials, ingredient spotlights, and brand breakdowns on our YouTube channel. Just click on Beauty IQ in the menu bar of the website or app or search Adore Beauty on YouTube for more beauty content. Welcome everybody to Beauty IQ, the podcast. I'm your host, Joanna Fleming. And I am your co-host, Hannah First. So, Joe, there is a, another TikTok trend that I just have always done. Yeah. <laughs> I've always done this. It's called TikTok's sunburn blush trend is taking over one pink nose at a time. I feel like that's about five years too late. Yeah, it's called sunburn blush or sun blush. When's this article from? November 2022. No joke. Wow. Okay. So basically it says the concept is pretty straightforward. Sunburn blush. Apply your favorite blush generously across your cheeks and nose. I've been doing that for years, TikTok. Yeah. I think we all have. (laughs) Why does TikTok have to make everything problematic? Like sunburn blush. For me, it's not sunburn. For me, it's like a flushed look. Yes. Like it's a color, like brings color and rosiness. Well, it's not being encouraging sunburn. I know. I'm being triggered at the moment because we've had a few hot days in Melbourne and I'm seeing all these influencers posting their TikToks and their Instagram stories with like sunburn tan lines, like literal sunburn. And it infuriates me because I'm like, you've got this impressionable audience that you're posting to with that sunburn, which I find irresponsible. Well, at least for this, the hashtag sunburn blush, it's got 230,000 views on TikTok. That's actually not that much for TikTok, Mm. is it? At least they're pretending it's sunburn. At least they're not going out. Yes. Do you know who I feel like Dua Lipa does this? And I don't know whether it's actual sunburn or if she's using blush, but she always has that blush Mm. nose and cheek look. I, the other day, was doing my makeup And I put on a significant amount of blush on my cheeks and my nose. I love it. I think it looks so nice. It like really brings a lot of color and like makes you look alive. But I never really thought of it as sunburn. It does look flush. It makes you look more three-dimensional. You know how foundations can sometimes just flatten everything? Yeah. And they just make you look, yeah, they don't give you the same dimension that like no makeup does you know when light bounces off your face differently Mm, I feel like adding blush onto your cheeks and your nose just brings your face forward almost like it just gives you this no liveliness to your skin we spoke about this before I just love like how TikTok renames things that already existed it's infuriating quiet quitting thing <laughs> and it becomes like all the news outlets pick it up as like this new yes. trend when it's, it's like so always annoying existed. i feel like we've always put a bit of blush on the nose i've like yeah. always done that another thing that gen z's think they invented <laughs> so what is on today's episode joe on today's episode we are chatting about mites mm. on your face Bugs yes and mites, mites do live yes. on your face yep We're talking also about laser hair removal and our products we didn't ever need it. For today's cringy convo, I feel like we've got like two kind of topics, bugs and mites. Do you remember doing this in primary school when you would go, there was like a bug place that you'd go to and you'd discover all the bugs? No, I don't remember doing that. Really? Oh, there was like a bug place in Melbourne. I feel like every primary school went there. I don't remember where it was, Mm. but they had lots of bugs and you would just go and touch them and like, 
look at them in enclosures and stuff. I hate bugs. And I actually, this topic really, have you seen the movie Snowpiercer? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sounds like one of your niche movies again. <laughs> no. Chris Evans. It's big. It was oh, big. Got okay. really good reviews. So it really yeah. reminds me of the movie because in that movie, it's like a dystopian long story. Oh, I haven't seen it. <laughs> Basically, the kind of the people that live at the end of the train get given this like food. It's like a protein bar, like a, a jelly protein bar. And you don't yeah. know what's in it, but that's what they get fed every day is the protein bar. Yeah. Anyway, you later find out that the way that they're making that protein bar is by putting bugs into like an incinerator, oh. heaps and heaps of bugs into an incinerator, and then it all gets mushed up into this protein bar. Anyway, that's what it reminded Ew. me of. <laughs> <laughs> so gross. Yeah. <laughs> I really recommend the movie. Go watch it. So there was this article that I had found. It's on BBC dot com and it's so cringy combo but most people might read this and go mm. what so the tiny mites that have sex on your face have a problem did you know that there are mites on your face having sex i did know that i did know because they're called demodex mites yeah yes how did you know that i'm a dermal therapist so i should know that oh. <laughs> But also there's been research that has gone into whether demodex mites can worsen inflammation in conditions like rosacea, which I don't believe ah. has been proven, but it's been discussed before, which is why well, I, I knew about it beforehand. So did you know that they're pore cleaning? No, I didn't. So they're called pore cleaning mites. They're 0.3 millimetres long like an organism mm -hmm. there's like a very blown up photo yeah. of one it just looks like clear spaghetti a flea <laughs> i don't know how to describe it so it doesn't have legs no it doesn't look like it has legs okay everyone google demodex mite now oh actually <laughs> let's just demodex mite images what are people gonna say oh no oh my god that what? does not look like spaghetti. What are you looking at? Oh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my like God. It. I don't like it. Oh, my God. I've okay. got full body shivers. Go Google D-E-M-O-D-E-X mites. You are not going to be happy that they're living on your face. It looks like a naked mole rat. It looks like Kim Possible's offsider <laughs> if you grew up with that show. Basically, at night, these mites leave the pores to find a new skin follicle, meet a partner and mate. So basically, they're having sex on your skin, but there is a problem. So a new study has found that these mites could be facing a problem as their DNA is eroding, meaning they are close to extinction. But I think I read somewhere that like what? they really help cleaning out the pores and keeping the pores flat. Have I read that right? That would make sense, yeah. Mm. The person that co-wrote the study says we should be grateful to offer the mites a home and have such an intimate relation with them. She says they're very tiny and cute. No, they're not. They're just <laughs> not uh, what, from what I can see. Based on the image I'm looking at right now, they are There's not. There's nothing to be concerned about having them. They clean our pores and keep them flat. So don't be worried. Be happy you have small microscopic creatures living with you. They don't do any damage. Well, actually, I'm glad they keep my pores flat. Yeah. She says, in the night, whilst we're deep in sleep, they visit the pores and have sex and have babies. Wow. <laughs> and I love this article said that our pores are like their Love Island hideaway. <laughs> 
I wouldn't say they're an attractive looking mite. So what's the issue if we do lose them, like if they become extinct? They are associated with healthy skin. So if we lose them, you could face problems with your skin. Interesting. So they're good mites. They're mites we want on our face, but there's also bugs we don't want on our face during the night. I think everyone's heard that myth that you eat like seven spiders in your life. Four spiders in your lifetime. Oh, four. I thought it was seven. Okay, go on. Yeah. So (laughs) this was a really interesting topic. We were talking about mites. Somehow then we got where we decided we were going to also talk about insects and how many insects do you eat? Because I feel like the thing that you always hear is that you eat X number of spiders everyone Mm. eats X number of spiders in their lifetime. So there's a Forbes article answering this very question, what is the average number of insects and spiders humans eat that they're unaware of? So it was actually Quora. Is that how you say it? I always wonder Quora. Yeah, this Q-U-O-R. Yeah, yeah. Quora. So an entomologist, 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 entomologist (laughs) answered this question. He says the likely number, guess what the likely number of creatures you'll eat Uh, while you sleep. Is it more or less than I'm thinking? I said seven. Zero. Oh, what? (laughs) Zero. Really? God, that's reassuring. He said insects are not that stupid. They will not crawl into the warm, moist CO2 exhaling cave that is pretty obviously the entrance to something big and living. Granted, some insects like roaches do occasionally crawl into ears and get stuck, but that's very rare. Yuck. (laughs) A cockroach in the ear. But the idea that we swallow a certain number of spiders every lifetime is just an urban legend. So that's not true. Okay. But there is something else that we should know. So what about food? That's a different issue because crops are almost always infested with insects. The harvest will usually have pieces of insects too. The amount of insecticides or controls you would need to keep a farm 100% insect-free is so high that it would cost more to control the insects than one would get from selling the crops. So basically there are going to be insects in the crops. So wash your vegetables. For sure. Basically. Yeah. Basically, farmers don't control insect pests unless the infestation crosses the economic threshold. So there is a maximum number. Here we go. The point is crops will always have insects on them no matter where they came from or how they've been grown. So whatever you buy at the store or market, especially processed food, will have teeny tiny quantities of insect parts. (laughs) Does that mean that like if you buy frozen vegetables that there's probably x number honestly i would rather i'd rather pieces of insects than a whole spider in my mouth at night yeah that's true i think it's the better of two evils this is the part that reminded me of that movie so insects are harmless to humans they're edible after all but basically this is in the u.s the fda places limits on how many insect parts different food items can have i (laughs) guess You probably didn't know that. I didn't know that. I did not know that. So these are the food defect action levels, levels of natural or unavoidable defects in food that present no health hazard for humans. An X percent of insects doesn't provide a health hazard, so that's okay. Okay. So that's like the maximum number of insects, like per piece of bread or whatever. (laughs) I made that up. I think in all likelihood, yes, you have eaten insects in your life, I think. Yeah. I mean, I've eaten plenty of flies that have gone into my mouth. (laughs) 
You know, like when they just it goes in your mouth and you're like, Ugh. yeah, <laughs> and you and you can't get it out. Yes. You just have to swallow it. Yes. There's nothing else that you can do. A hundred percent. And you know what? Nothing bad happens. I definitely would have swallowed those like small fruit flies. I don't think I would have swallowed like a blowfly <laughs> in my life. It's definitely gone in my mouth. Literally, it like flies in so quickly that you don't have time to spit it out. And it just goes, it oh, flies down your throat. This is giving me full shivers, this segment. I'm usually okay with this stuff. But oh, just thinking about insects, disgusting. Can we get our Facebook group? Please share. If you've had an insect yes. creep into any of your orifices, oh, yes. please let us, especially your mouth, I want to hear about it. If you've had an encounter, like you've woken up in the middle of the night and there's a huntsman in your mouth, please, please tell, tell us. us about it. We want to hear it. Share it on the Facebook group or feel free to just send us a voice memo of some kind. We're always open to that. So do share because I want to hear. I'm sure there'd be some freaky stories there would be for sure yeah. for sure so today i can't believe that we haven't done this as a segment before and we've spoken about it so many times i think our first episode had we were talking about our anus hair but we've got charlotte butler from clear skincare clinics joining us she's a victorian clinical trainer now she's helping develop others in the industry and she's here to talk about laser hair removal with us today welcome charlotte hello thanks for having me firstly we need to start with how does laser hair removal actually work what's happening because it was really groundbreaking at the time when it first came mm. out first became available to us when we're all waxing and shaving and it's really probably only been 10 years since it's been popularized laser hair removal it works by using a laser to selectively target and heat the hair follicle so most medical grade lasers they'll have two settings that are selected based on the skin tone so one setting targets and treats the pigment that's found in the hair follicle, and that's called melanin, where the light is converted into heat, and that works to destroy the stem cell in the follicle, which prevents that future hair growth. Whereas the other setting, it's targeting the root of the hair follicle at something called the dermal papilla, and that's also responsible for the hair regrowth and regeneration. Mm -hmm. So that setting is targeting the blood component of the skin bypassing the pigment. So it makes it safer for a deeper skin tone as well. So how does laser hair removal differ from IPL? Both hair removal treatments of IPL and laser, it both involves producing light energy, but your IPLs, they're not lasers. So an IPL device, it'll emit a broad spectrum of light wavelengths, which means it's less specifically attracted to the hair follicle in comparison to the surrounding skin. Whereas your lasers, they only emit one single wavelength. So it allows the laser to be much more precise in selectively targeting the dark, coarse hair with minimal risk to the surrounding skin areas, including your deeper skin tones. So I like to say an IPL is kind of like seeing a general practitioner, your GPs. It's got training in a few different areas, but a laser is like going to see your specialist. So it's providing a more specific targeted treatment. Well, that's a good analogy. I like that. <laughs> So who is a suitable candidate for laser? And are there any lasers for blonde or red hair? I know that laser is often not recommended for super deep skin tones as well. So who's the ideal candidate? Well, luckily, most people are a candidate to receive laser hair removal treatment, including all skin tones. So luckily, we have those two settings that we can work within, but mostly to target dark, coarser hair that yields the best results. 
So hair color and density of the hair will influence the success of a treatment. So unsuitable candidates would include those uh, individuals with gray, red, white, or blonde hair, or a very fine hair, mm -hmm. as these colors and hair types aren't really absorbed by the laser. In regards to blonde and red hair, I mean, I can, I think I can speak for all of us in saying that we're very lucky to belong to an industry that's continuously evolving and developing. So even though there isn't a specific laser solution at the moment for blonde or red hair, I mean, there might potentially be one day. Fingers crossed. Can't <laughs> yourself lucky you've got blonde or red hair. <laughs> Starters. <laughs> I mean, if you can't see it, it doesn't count. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And something that anyone that's had laser hair removal, you'll be told over and over, like, you know, you can't tan, can't wear fake tan. If you do go to your appointment with fake tan, you'll get turned away. Why is that? Tanning, yeah, it's a big, big no-no for laser treatments, including your spray tan, as well as prolonged UV exposure, as it can cause adverse side effects. Laser treatment on skin that's been recently sun exposed or tanned can cause unwanted skin discoloration. And in some severe cases, it can cause burns. And that's basically because the laser is absorbed to the pigment of the hair follicle. But if you've got dark pigment in the skin as well, that may also potentially be targeted. So the darker the skin, the more light energy it's going to absorb. So that means full avoidance of sunbirds, spray tans, or any direct sun exposure for a minimum of two weeks prior to treatment. I actually experienced this myself. So that's a warning to all of you. Back when I was having my Brazilian done years ago, I'd actually been out in the real sun, which you wouldn't believe now, but I'd been out in the real sun and I was tanned around my bikini line and my laser girl just went a little bit too close Ooh. to that area and I ended up with these <laughs> rings. It looked like I had like warts or something. It was like these red rings oh, no. and they left like little hypopigmented mm. rings around my bikini line. So that was really fun for summer, but I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> so what should we avoid post-treatment once we've had our laser done? Just to bring it back a little notch as well, when you're having a laser hair removal treatment, as I said, that light energy, it's converting into heat and that's really to create destruction of the hair follicle. But the heat isn't immediately released. It takes a bit of time. So that's why it's really important to refrain post-treatment for anything that is heat generating. So that would include physical exercise, hot showers, pools, spas, saunas for a period of around 24 hours. This is mostly a precaution to avoid having a heat response and that can be prolonged for several days. So we don't want that. Now that we've entered summer as well, Avoiding prolonged sun exposure for two weeks after a treatment is essential and that's to prevent your skin burning and unwanted skin pigmentation as that area is going to be a lot more vulnerable to the damaging effects of the sun, of course. So avoiding that. Clothing as well. So really want to be avoiding anything that's tightly fitted and avoiding itching and scratching of the treatment area. So not wearing in like your tight active wear into <laughs> a laser treatment can be helpful. And improper, like topical product use. So any very heavy or occlusive creams, they have the potential to further trap heat into the skin. Whereas things like post-laser gels, they're designed to be applied to a heated skin to actually reduce irritation and they're water-based. So an analogy I use is if you've had two saucepans cooking on the stove and one's got water and the other oil, what's going to hold the heat for longer? Oil. 
Yeah. Okay. So look for a really lightweight kind of gel texture. So something you want to be looking for in your laser gel is something, as I said, that has water-based hydrators, something as Mm -hmm. well that contains aloe vera, cucumber, some panthenol, things that are going to help to reduce irritation in the skin and have a really great soothing benefit, particularly on top of active heat. So anything that does contain those sorts of ingredients, fantastic. And in terms of facial hair, is it safe to have your face lasered if you've got excess hair? Yeah, absolutely. I've had that done myself as well. So lasers are very safe, very effective for the treatment of that excessive hair growth on the face in men and women. But particularly in women, unwanted and excess hair growth can be really emotionally distressing and very challenging to manage as there's often a hormonal cause for it. So look, we can use laser hair removal to improve this problem and reduce the need for other forms of hair removal like waxing or plucking on a more regular basis. But the rule of thumb is always to treat areas of the face or neck that present with that terminal hair growth. And this is what's found on our head, brows, underarms. It's a bit thicker uh, and darker. So we don't want to treat anything that's a very fine hair which is often referred to as like your peach fuzz, as there's a chance that that may actually develop into thicker, coarser hair growth with laser treatments. So we definitely want to avoid, but always proceed with like a laser consultation prior to removal. And that's just to determine your suitability for the treatment as well. Are there any other like FAQs that you deal with a lot from clients that are coming into clinic that you kind of want to debunk or address? I think as well, there's the common misconception that laser hair removal is a like forever permanent removal of the hair, whereas it is a permanent reduction. Mm. So we very commonly say it's up to 80% hair reduction that you can achieve with laser. And that's purely because within a very small centimeter of skin, you have thousands of dormant hair follicles. So even though only some of them may be currently active, those dormant follicles, they can be stimulated with things like hormonal changes, fluctuations, with medications. So at any point, they could become active. So that's where we say coming in for your maintenance treatments is essential for the longevity of your results and to treat any new active growth that might push through. And how many treatments would you recommend for someone that has never tried laser before and they're kind of wanting to buy a package? Yeah, uh, so between 8 to 12 sessions would be fantastic, especially if the hair growth is a little bit coarser because it can take anywhere up to five sessions to really start to see an evening out in the hair reduction. As we're treating hairs in the active growth phase, anywhere between 20 to 30% at a time. So having a course of treatment around 8 to 12 sessions would be fantastic. And that way we have the opportunity to repeatedly target those active hair growths. Hannah, how would you describe the feeling of laser to someone that's never had it done? Hot rain. <laughs> <laughs> like boiling rain. Yeah, like it's like a pitter-patter of... It feels like a hot elastic band. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's what it's yeah, like. Yeah, just the, the flick. Especially Brazilian is not a comfortable treatment to have. That can be a little bit of an electric shock sometimes. That's how it feels like for me. Yes, it is yeah. a little bit of an electric yeah. shock. How would you describe it, Charlotte? Yeah, like a little little rubber band, little flick. Mm, yeah, <laughs> that part under your arm as well when it really gets in quite deep. It's like, oh, you just kind of want to pull your arm away. <laughs> it's like, uh, uh. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the first couple of sessions can be a bit a bit yucky, but it's working towards the end goal. Thank you so much for joining mm-hmm. us today, Charlotte, sharing all that info. Thank you for having me. What is your product today, Joe? All right. Just because occasionally I like to choose products we don't stock. Yes, I know. I've got to talk about something. Okay. So I'm known for getting very tired very quickly. So I can go from having a lot of energy to fading mm. immediately and I need to like go home, go to bed. So I've started doing this thing and it started because my boyfriend had some pre-workout at my house and he was like, mm-hmm. before we go out, have some pre-workout. It'll just liven you up. It's got caffeine in it. And I'm like, oh, no. It'll probably upset my tummy, but I'll have a little bit. I'll just see. Because you don't drink caffeine. Well, I drink tea. So I still drink caffeine, but I just don't drink coffee. So it was actually before the Dua Lipa concert. And I was like feeling a bit tired that day because I'd been away the night before. Why didn't you have if you were going to a concert? You could have had a Red Bull vodka. So you had a pre-workout. I had had some (laughs) pre-workout before I left home. I had some pre-workout. And can I tell you, I had the time of my life. I was like so awake. I was wide-eyed. And now I just keep doing it. Every time I'm like tired before I go out, instead of just like trying to push through and like yawning at dinner, I have a bit of pre-workout before I leave and I'm good to go. So you don't even work out you just to liven you up? Nah, I don't have it before I work out. I just have it as like, ah! a, yeah, a party drive basically. <laughs> it's like no-dos. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The one that I have is from Chemist Warehouse. It's Body Science Pre-Workout Grape Flavor. It's $31.49 and it's, nice. look, it's quite nice. So it's not one of those ones that makes your body tingle. You know, the, there used to be ones that make you, your skin crawl. Like it's not like that at all. It's a very tame one. I think from memory it just has a bit of caffeine and some other shit in it. Suggest you check it out yourself. Not expecting that on your list. Neither was I. I didn't think that this would be 2022 me, but it is. I'm now a pre-workout girl. She's a pre-workout girl, yeah. which, with, but without <laughs> the working out. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually have a beauty product this week. Mm-hmm. Mine is the Philip Kingsley Elastisizer. Oh, yeah. It's been so long since I talked about Philip Kingsley Elastisizer, mm-hmm. which is the actual treatment product. Yeah. So you put that in your hair before you condition. No, you put it in before you wash your hair. It's a pre-wash conditioner amazing so they have got a styling cream and it's a real like multitasker it's a five-in-one treatment so really good I like it because it works like it's good for frizz it's really lightweight like doesn't weigh down the hair it'll add shine help to tame difficult hair I'm pretty sure someone did tell me but it's not listed here I was pretty sure it also helped with heats it says primes do you think that's okay for heat styling oh yeah I'd say it's probably, yeah, probably got some heat styling. Yeah, because I feel like I, I really am into products that you just like an all-in-one treatment product that you put in after the shower. Like I love that. I like if it also has like heat styling protection. And the other thing with Philip Kingsley products is the thing that they're kind of known for is adding bounce. Mm-hmm. Have you you've used the elasticizer? I think I used it a couple of times and then I gave my sample oh. to someone else to try. Oh, I went through three tubs. Oh, no, I haven't used oh it extensively. God. So I would say that this is suitable for like all hair types. If you love their elasticizer, like the OG, which I think was created for Audrey Hepburn. 
actually. Yes. If you love their OG, I feel like you'd really like this styling product. And the way that you use it is like same as any treatment product, like wash your hair and then use it on damp hair. But you can also use it on dry hair and you don't need much, like a pea-sized amount. In terms of ingredients, it's got phytolustin, which helps hair hold on to moisture, babassu oil, <laughs> to condition and mm-hmm. olive oil oh my god oh which, what which a throwback for you hannah smoothness hannah something that i'm really proud of that i saw in our facebook group that we ended up sharing to our instagram mm-hmm. because it was very powerful we had someone share in the facebook group she writes she's a teacher I busted a kid using her laptop in class to look at facial sunscreen. I couldn't even be mad because I was like, yes, girl, wear that sunscreen every day and gave her recommendations. So she apparently recommended ultraviolet to her, but we love that. Is that a bit too much for a school child? How old is this Oh, yeah, she did say it was expensive for her. The student apparently said, oh, I really want ultraviolet, but it's a bit too expensive for me because obviously, you know, you're on a student's wage. And she apparently recommended some more affordable options to her. So we're very proud of that. We love a sunscreen recommendation. Oh, I love start that. Them young. Everybody start them young is all I can say. I love that she wasn't even like texting boys in yes, class. She, she was, was looking like, up sunscreen. actually looking up But you know what? Sunscreen. That gives me faith that the younger generation, they're getting it. They're getting the information that our skin influencers are trying to peddle. Well, I would say TikTok's probably helping because there was that TikTok video where that woman who didn't you older, like older, maybe like 80s or 90s and hadn't used sunscreen on her neck and she had like beautiful, smooth face skin. Sometimes I'm like, is this real? And that was definitely on TikTok, I'm sure. And I think as well, there's like a lot of celebrities that are using sunscreen now. Like I know that Lila Moss used ultraviolet in her Vogue Beauty Secrets. Dua Lipa has used ultraviolet before. So like these celebrities that are really cool with this younger generation are then setting the standards. They're setting the beauty standards now, which is amazing if they're using sunscreen. Like We'd love to see it. Great. <laughs> All of our younger generation mm-hmm. are going to be protected from the sun, which is what we want. All right. Well, see you guys next week. See you next week. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends. It helps other people to discover us. And also, we really want to know what you thought about this podcast. So if you can leave us a review, that would be much appreciated. Bye.